At Crossroads, the purpose of group life is to connect people in spaces where we can build relationships, grow spiritually, and transform our homes and communities with God's love as everyday peacemakers. There are six different types of groups, each with a specific purpose and focus. Connect groups gather primarily to build relationships and stay connected with one another. Activity groups are focused on a shared interest or activity such as hiking, golfing, or camping. Care and support groups form around a specific care need such as divorce, addiction, or grief. In study groups, people come together for the purpose of studying a topic, book of the Bible, or other resource. Partners and Hope groups gather to actively address the five unacceptable truths by supporting our ministry partners and initiatives, both domestically and globally. And finally, our volunteer teams form the backbone of the ministry activity of Crossroads Church, serving with children, in hospitality, tech and music, and more. With all these options available to you, the question becomes, how are you connecting with other Crossroads peacemakers? In this season, consider how joining a group might support your growth as an everyday peacemaker and enable you to transform your community with God's love. Go to crossroadscolorado.com groups to learn more and sign up today. Way to go quick. That was Ross's fault. Right there. I saw it in your eyes. No, we had to do a quick microphone change. We're a frugal organization. We don't have hundreds of microphones just sitting around. So I had to chase Ed. He was just wheeling down as fast as he could. I was like, I need the microphone. No, it was good. Thank you, Ed and Sylvia, for sharing your story with us and being Jesus so that we could be transformed by you. Thank you very much. Um, so it's good to see everybody today. My name is Ryan. I'm the lead pastor here at Crossroads. Groups uh, are launching, kicking off. Uh, I like to say this, groups are not for everybody. They're for some of us. And so I want to encourage you, if you're in a space where participating in a group would help you become more like Jesus, would help you find some hope and encouragement or bring peace into our world, jump into one of those groups. There's a catalog in there. You can sign up on your Connect card. If life is crazy and being a part of a group gives you the cold sweats, Trust your body. It's telling you don't sign up for a group, all right? Not many pastors in the world will tell you don't sign up for a group. I'm one of them, all right? So there's some crazy stuff that goes on every now and then in church world, and we're doing our best to unwrite some of those things. So it's great to, great to launch groups. I'm grateful for all of our group leaders. I'm grateful for the things that we're offering. If you're interested in, in, in leading a group, if you've got a topic, a book that you read that you loved, and you'd love to kind of lead a study on that, or maybe you uh, have a, a creative way we can serve our community, all of our groups are really led by the people. Like they, they have an idea, and we are as a church trying to give them wings to go with the vision that the Spirit of God has put in their heart or their life. So that's what they're there for. Uh, next week, you'll hear about a couple of groups that are in existence that may be of value to you, or maybe not. I don't know. So who knows? But uh, I was curious. Like today, I was like, oh man, we've got the volunteer rally today, and uh, we got like 130 volunteers signed up to be there. And I thought, man, this is a dedicated church opening weekend of football. And then I saw yesterday that the Broncos don't play till tomorrow. <laughs> so I was like ready to give us all a big props, but then I realized that's oh, just a coincidence. So 
But it's great. If you're a guest today, welcome. So glad you're here. If you're tuning in online for the first time, thanks for jumping on. I know being a, a participant inside of a church can be a little scary, especially a new one. So I'm grateful you're here. Inside the, the program, there is my cell phone number. Uh, and I would love to have coffee with you if you're a guest. I really would. Um, I, I look around and see a lot of you that did that. You sent me a text message, and I actually responded, and we set up coffee, and I love that so much. And uh, I want to thank everybody for buying coffee, because I forget my wallet every time. So just so you know, that's how it's going to work. Uh, when, when I show up, I'm going to be like, oh, no, I totally forgot. So no, I'm just kidding. I'll leave them by. So if you are a guest and you have questions, you want to learn more about our church, about myself, I'd love to hear your story, how you ended up here, uh, and give you a little bit of the story of Crossroads, which is a great one. So hey, let me ask you a question. Raise your hand up nice and high. If you're at home, click the like button, whatever it might be. If you're out in the lobby, just give me a whoop whoop so I can hear you if you're in the atrium. Um, how many of you have ever been distracted driving? Come on now. Oh, look, see, this is an honest church. I love it. How many of you have ever had something negative happen to you while you were distracted driving? Raise your hand. I had a car one time, a parked car. True story. It's confession time. We were driving down the road, and I was looking for where the closest Starbucks was going to be for my wife and I's counseling appointment. Absolute true story. You don't know what to do with that. You're like, our pastor went to counseling? Yes. Yes. I've been married for almost 25 years. Of course I went to counseling. <laughs> oh, no. I don't know what world you all live in. <laughs> so we were going down, and I was like, oh, let's stop at a Starbucks. We were like looking for one that was on the way, and then I like looked up, and I had beard, and there was a parked car that had broke down, and it was really broke down after I finished with it. Um, so, but that's all right. We got a new vehicle out of it, right? Those are, there's some consequences to distractions in our lives, right? Uh, to be distracted is to kind of be unable to concentrate on something, right? Because our mind is preoccupied. I was preoccupied with Starbucks, right? Um, and we can get distracted in a lot of areas of our lives, right? We can get distracted in our relational lives, right? Uh, you have a significant other, boyfriend, girlfriend, partner in life, whatever it might be, and in, all of a sudden you get preoccupied with your wants, forgetting about their needs, and then all of a sudden we find ourselves distracted and we can't focus in on that relationships. We end up neglecting that partner because we think this is what I need. We get distracted in our professional lives, you don't have to raise your hand for this. I don't want to embarrass anybody, but have you ever had a kind of negative or a not-so-wonderful, not-so-positive quarterly review, maybe? Right? And you realize maybe there were some distractions. Maybe you got preoccupied with your potential future at the company, excited about the possible promotion, right? And you neglected your current responsibilities, right? Excited about what could take place, right? Somebody above you retired, and you thought, this is my chance, and so you were focused on that and not the reality of what was going on in the moment. We also get distracted in our spiritual and our emotional lives. I don't know if you know that or not, but you have a spiritual life. You have an emotional life, a mental life. I kind of put all that in one category, by the way. I don't, I don't think of like spiritual health and mental health and emotional health as separate and different. I think of them as kind of all combined, just different words that different disciplines use to describe the same reality. But we can get distracted, right? We get preoccupied with what has happened, thinking about our past. We get preoccupied with what will happen, what we hope to happen, and we miss what's happening. We miss the moment, right? That happens at, you know, at a gathering like this all the time. You're thinking, I wonder what they're having at the volunteer lunch. Maybe I should stay. I didn't have lunch plans. I don't volunteer, but hey, why not pretend? I wonder if it's going to be good. I would encourage you to do that. Like, let's just not worry about that anymore, right? Now, 
When you think about distractions, that's where we get distracted, right? But why is it that we get distracted, right? Well, we get bored. Now, y'all are lying if you've never said you've gotten bored at work or bored in a relationship or bored with your like, own emotional, spiritual health. Sometimes we get overwhelmed, and in our overwhelmedness, we look for a distraction. Sometimes we get hurt. True story for a lot of us in this space right here is there's hurt in our lives from religion. There's trauma in our lives from the representation of God that was given to us. And so that can be a distraction from the goodness and the hope and the joy and the light that can be found as we pursue a life under the law of love. Because maybe that wasn't what was given to us. You know how I get distracted? I get an idea. Like anybody that we all work together, and like that's the worst thing ever when Ryan's like, I have an idea. The room just scatters, like everybody just leaves, right? And my ideas usually come like way late in the ball game, right? <laughs> and so I'm learning in my old age, like, let's let that one go. Let's not say that out loud, Ryan, right? But we get ideas, right? And that can distract us from what's happening in the present. And here's the problem. Distractions at the end of the day can be good, right? Sometimes we need a little distraction in our lives. We need to kind of get away. But if we live in a space of distraction, if we live in a space where we're preoccupied with what could be or we're preoccupied with what was, it will eventually derail us. Because see, that's what happens. Distractions derail relationships. They derail our spiritual health. They derail us. And you know what's interesting is Jesus seems to be this character, right, who understood the power of focus. Like Jesus didn't ever seem to get distracted. Like the Jesus that we have in the Gospels, the four Gospels, seemed to kind of know his purpose, know what he was doing. Now, I'm sure Jesus got distracted. Like, I just believe that because I'm a big believer in the humanity of Jesus, right? And so I don't believe for a second that Jesus walked this earth and never got distracted. I believe he got distracted by the same things all of us did. But Jesus had this uncanny ability to stay focus, to know what the main thing was, and to keep the main thing the main thing. And as the church, right, as this, this thing called the church, the body of Christ now, the visible, when we gather this visible expression of Jesus in our world, I want to just explore a story that can help us live out this idea of focus. To say, as a gathered community, right, last week we talked about scattering, right, we talked about the idea that we're all these orange dots of hope, that we go out into our workplaces and we love. We go out into our neighborhoods and we love and we include. We look for a need. We meet the need. We were in our kind of, we have a gathering of all the volunteers every Sunday that, that gather together and we just kind of get some good news and we pray. And I made this comic. So we asked, hey, what can we be praying for? Be mindful of this coming week in each other's lives. And I made this comment that I would personally rather be the answer to someone's prayer than pray. Like that's just how I'm wired, right? That's just me. I would rather, like, sometimes I'm like, I don't want to waste time praying. I can answer that prayer, you know. I got 10 bucks in my pocket. We can take care of that right now, you know. Or I got time on Tuesday. Let's do that, right? And that's the idea. Like, what happens when we go out with this sense of purposeness, this sense of I'm here to hold the world together with love, right, when that goes. And today we're talking about as we gather together, the things that happen because we choose to come, link arms, and be an outward-facing, visible expression of love in this world. It's things like the ramp that gets built, right, because we exist as community together. So I want to look at a story that can remind us of the main thing, 
and particularly the main thing for us as Crossroads, a local expression, right? So I always like to ask the question, what wisdom does Scripture offer us? I look at the Bible as wisdom. I don't think of the Bible as a rule book. I think it's a terrible rule book, a horrible rule book. If you want to try and follow all the rules in the Bible, good luck. They contra- the rules contradict each other at times. It's very strange. But wisdom, oh, it is a beautiful book of wisdom. And it gives us a history of the way people thought about God. It gives us a rewriting, a, a corrective course of way to think about God with Jesus. So it's wonderful. So I want to look at a story in John chapter 4. Now, I was supposed to talk for 25 minutes today, and they all laughed at me. They just laughed. They literally laughed at the walkthrough. So you've got to fasten your seatbelt because we've got to get going, all right? So John chapter 4, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John is our fourth gospel in the New Testament, if you're new to Bible study, and it's probably the strangest of all four Gospels. Uh, Jesus doesn't tell any stories, no parables. He has long discourses, conversations. We get all these really cool statements of Jesus, like he says, I am the bread of life. What does that mean? <laughs> he says, I and the Father are one. Like These are things that are not said in any of the other Gospels, and the other Gospels are earlier than John, because John is a theo- a, definitely a theological work. John is writing to a community of people, that, and he's helping them understand why they do what they do, why they live the way they live, why they believe about Jesus, right? So John chapter 4 is this really famous story where Jesus and his disciples come to a very famous well, and they're in this region called Samaria, right? And so they're, they're at the, the base of a mount called Mount Gerizim, and it's where the Samaritans, the Samaritans used to worship. There was a temple there at one point in time. In John chapter 4, they are traveling along. They're headed back to kind of a different area, and they decide to go through uh, Samaria. And in John chapter 4, they stop at this well, and Jesus sends the disciples on to go buy some food. So they go away. A woman comes to draw well, water from the well. And Jesus looks at the woman and says, hey, can I have some water? And the woman says, excuse me? Like, why are you asking me for water? Like, what are you doing here? She's very confused by this. She's like, you would you don't talk to me a Samaritan. Like, you know, we don't do this thing. Like, we don't talk. We don't like one another. You don't like me. I don't like you. Let's just pretend. And, 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 and Jesus is like, no, no, just would you get me some water? And she says, okay, but why? And then Jesus says, and if you knew who was asking you for water, you, you would ask me for water. And then she gets really confused. She's like, you don't even have a bucket. You don't have a bucket. You're just standing here, helpless. And you have water for me. So I'll give you water and you'll never thirst again. I'll give you living water what? She said, okay, give me this living water so I don't have to carry this stupid bucket back and forth from where I live, Jesus. This guy is nuts. And he says, if you knew who it was. And then all of a sudden he says, well, go get your husband. And she says, well, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, well, I know, you're right. You, you don't have a husband now. In fact, you have five husbands, and the one you're with right now isn't your husband. Now it gets really awkward. <laughs> it's like, why don't I just get you some water and you be on your way, Jesus? I wish I would have never stopped at this well today, right? But she gets the water, and, and she's really taken back. And then there's this conversation about who the Messiah is and, and where you should worship. And she says, okay, I can see you're a prophet. And here's the deal. Your people that don't like us, they say we're supposed to go down to Jerusalem to worship. My people say I'm supposed to, we're supposed to be worshiping here on Mount Gerizim where the temple was. Like, wh- wh- what's the deal here? And Jesus makes this really powerful statement. He says, well, here's the deal. There's coming a time where it doesn't matter whether you worship on this mountain or whether you worship on the other mountain, true followers of God will worship in spirit and truth. And Jesus, in one moment through the Gospel of John, destroys any idea that religion matters. <laughs> like, that's not good job security for a guy like me. <laughs> right? Not one of my favorite passages to preach. But what Jesus is saying is like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. 
That's not the point. Now, at this moment, like, the disciples return, and they're freaked out. They're like, why is Jesus talking to a Samaritan and a woman? What does he want? What's going on here? And then the woman leaves, and the disciples are like, oh, what do we do? Like, how do we, this is awkward, but I want to ask, but I don't want to ask. And that brings us to John chapter 4, verse 31 through 38. And that's what I want to focus in on, right? So that sets the scene. But before we do that, you've got to understand the Jewish-Samaritan animosity is real. They don't like each other. They have a very violent history. That's your second fill-in. Y'all are scared out of your mind. Like, we've been here for 12 minutes, two fill-ins. There's a lot of fill-ins ahead, okay? Don't worry. We're going to go at a better pace, okay? And here's what's going on. You have to understand a little bit of the cultural matrix. And this area of the world was caught in between superpowers for like 500 years, right? So the Assyrians came in and they destroyed Samaria. They, they destroyed this area. They took a few exiles. They planted, they transplanted some people. Second Kings 17 tells us this story. They brought in these, these five nations of peoples that came into the area and it says that they didn't know how to worship God, so God sent lions, such a funny story, to kill them. I don't believe that's true, okay? I think that's an interpretation, and I think there's a lot going on there, but according to Jesus, God doesn't kill people with lions, okay? That's not how it works. And so there's this really fascinating story in 2 Kings 17, but after the Assyrians, then the Babylonians were in charge, then the Persians were in charge, then the Greeks come, and they're in charge. Oh, and then there's the Ptolemaic Empire in Egypt, so there's all this stuff going on, right? And as we look at 2 Kings 17 critically from a historical perspective, as scholars look at this, it's pretty clear through all the other extra-biblical data that there wasn't much animosity between this northern community in Samaria and the southern Jews for a very long time. They just existed. It wasn't until Alexander the Great came in about 330 BC, so about 330 years before Jesus, Alexander the Great comes in, and it's quite an interesting story in which he conquers, but Alexander the Great basically builds the Sumerians a new temple. They're like, oh, great, perfect. And the Sumerians start to serve in Alexander the Great's army with the Greeks, and, and this, this temple gets built. And that's about the time where the animosity kind of starts to build right? So not in 722 when the Assyrians come, but 400 years later, this new temple gets brought up. And then it was about 150 years later when there was a high priest in Jerusalem whose name was John Hyrcanus. Anybody ever heard of John Hyrcanus? A few out there? No? Okay, so we got to go fast. I get it. I'm boring you, but you got to understand this. So John Hyrcanus, who's the high priest, which is basically the president, right? The, the person in charge of it all. He goes in 138, in 128, excuse me, and he destroys the temple the Samaritan temple, this Jewish high priest, because he doesn't like the idea that there's people of Jewish heritage worshiping someplace else other than Jerusalem. So he takes his army, goes and destroys the temple, lays it waste, and then destroys uh, Shechem, destroys a very important town, city, at the same time, about maybe 15 years later. Now, you could imagine why there'd be a little animosity there <laughs> between these two groups. And it was at that point in time when their temple got destroyed, it was at that point in time when Shechem got destroyed in the early 2nd century of the B.C. that the animosity really starts to build. Now, that's about a generation and a half of people that have lived under animosity, so it would feel like forever to you, right? It would feel like this animosity goes way, way back, 800 years, but it's really only about 150 years old. And it's in that season, in that period of history, that the term Samaritan, how many of you have ever heard that term, Samaritan? Right now we see that term in all kinds of beautiful spaces, but that was a pejorative, like racist term. The word Samarian got turned into Samaritan. 
And so whenever you see that word Samaritan, you really should recognize that that was a racial epithet that was used to describe people that the Jewish people thought were less than, right? And the Samaritans had their own words for the southern Jews as well. Now, in all of that, that's, the, that's what is building here. That's the story at the woman at the well. That whole history is right there, and every person in John's community would know it. We wouldn't because we don't live in it, but when, when John writes the story, they would have got it, right? So here's what it says. So remember, the disciples have come back. You now understand why there's so much tension. She is standing at a well that's at the base of the ruins of the temple that was destroyed by Jesus' ancestors. Got it? Right? Now you see it. <laughs> Just a few miles down the road is their kind of capital city that was destroyed by Jesus' ancestors. But yeah, okay, salvation comes from the Jews. It doesn't look like that, Jesus, because that's what Jesus says to her, right? Looks like destruction comes from the Jews. Look around. So the woman goes back to the town. The disciples are there, and the disciples pleaded with him. They said, Rabbi, eat something, right? So remember, they were going to get food. He comes back, and Jesus says this. He says, I have food to eat, food you know nothing about. Okay. Now the disciples are a little confused. The text says they queried each other. It's kind of an interesting translation. They asked each other, did somebody bring him food that we don't know about? Did we just walk all the way over there for nothing? Right? That's what I imagined. Like, that's like a short walk, you know. They didn't get an Uber, right? I mean, wherever they went and got food, they had to walk. And they come back, and Jesus is like, oh, I've got food you don't even know about. And this is what Jesus says. Jesus says, doing the will of the one who sent me and completing his work, that's my food. That's what nourishes me. That's what gives me strength. And it's powerful that Jesus had just talked about living water, and now he's talking about food. So the living water, right, of religionless spirituality, right, that there is no intermediary needed, that where you worship, the rules that you follow, the way you do it, the day in which you do it, all that stuff doesn't matter, spirit and truth. That recognition that the, when we throw off the oppression of religion, that's not to say we don't engage in religious activity because they can be very, very powerful, hence why I've given my life to it. But it's to say you throw off the yoke of it, the burden that comes from oppressive, domineering, right, dogmatic religion, and you enter into relationship with this God of the universe, spirit, whatever words you like to use, there's living water in that. There's something freeing, and that produces in you this ability to do the will of God. And what's the will of God? I have to believe for Jesus. It was loving and healing. <laughs> there's no doubt that John puts this story right at the well, right at the scene, right at the scene of the most painful spot that that generation of Sumerians would have known, puts this healing scene right in that moment. See, living water is this freedom from religious control, manipulation, and fear. That's what Jesus, I'm like, you're going to get this living water. It doesn't matter here or there, what building, small, big, large, whatever works for you. And this divine food that nourishes you is this will of God to love and include. And that's this, this is a huge story of, of, of inclusion by a community, Right? Because in John chapter 8, verse 41, a few verses later, the woman has gone to the, the town. She's gone and she says to everybody, come see this man who told me everything about myself, everything I've ever done, which was not exactly true given the story, right? I mean, it's just kind of one bit of information. Maybe Jesus got lucky, I don't know, but he knew it. But they tell everybody, so they go out and they listen to Jesus. And then it says, after they hear Jesus, after they encounter this Jew whose family, whose heritage, whose ancestors destroyed their temple, destroyed their town, for them it's been just their whole lives of animosity, their whole lives of hating one another. 
this is what they said. They said, we no longer believe because of what you said. Now we've listened to him ourselves, and we realize that he really is the Savior of the world. Like, the Savior of the world. Now, in this moment, right, we're seeing something very powerful happen. We're seeing a, an age-long rift, hundreds of years being broken through John's community that has welcomed Samarians in. That's what's behind this story. And so back to the story, in that moment where Jesus is saying, my food is to do the will of the Father, right? It's an inclusion of the Samarians. It's love and healing. That's the whole purpose, right? Jesus says this, you have a saying, it's still four months till harvest. Yet I tell you, Look at the fields, they're ripe for harvesting. Now, if you were here last week, we looked at uh, what I, I think it was uh, Matthew did with this statement. Totally different. Absolutely different statement. <laughs> absolutely different setting. Absolutely different way in which he uses it in his story of Jesus, which is perfectly fine. <laughs> Nobody needs to freak out about that. But John takes this story and he uses it in a completely different way. Because what John is saying is like, listen, look up. The fields are ripe for harvesting. And the harvester is getting ready to get his pay. He says he's gathering the crop that sustains real life. Ooh, gathering the crop, the crop of people filled with this idea that the world and what saves the world is love and inclusion. I mean, it's there. And then Jesus says, so planter and harvester can celebrate together. See, Jesus knew the power of vision and timing. He says, look, right now is the time to harvest. It's not in four months. Right now is the time. And the harvest was the, all this huge crowd of people that were coming from the Samaritan villages to hear of this message that it didn't matter whether you worshiped at this temple or that temple. And then Jesus said this, he says, here too the proverb holds true, one plants and another harvest. I sent you to harvest what you haven't labored over. Others have labored and you've benefited from their work. I love this, it's so beautiful. Like John's writing to his community and he's saying, we as a community, we're living off of the work that others have done, and we have a responsibility to bring the Sumerians in. That's what John's saying by this story. And he's saying Jesus knew the power of participation. You participate in that vision of love and healing as a community. See, John's community was a peacemaking community. They were committed to this peacemaking work of Jesus. And he's writing this story of Jesus for his community that had welcomed the other. Make no mistake about it. We can argue and we can read different uh, scholars on whether this story ever happened historically, but the meaning of the story, make no mistake about it, is undoubtedly that John's community in the, in the late part of the first century, maybe 50, 60 years after the life of Jesus, is a Jewish sect, and it's existing within Judaism, and it's facing contempt from other sects within Judaism for accepting Samaritans unclean people, unworthy people. Make no mistake about it, that's what's happening in John's community, and that's why this story is so powerful. You see, John's not telling us a redemptive story about a woman who happened to be at a well. He's telling about a redemptive story of a people that had been rejected, a people that had been told stories about, a people that had been vilified. You read 2 Kings 17, it's a complete vilification of the Sumerians. And in one statement, Jesus says, 2 Kings 17, not true because it doesn't matter whether you worship on this mountain or that mountain. And the whole reason why there were such problems in 2 Kings 17 is because people didn't know how to worship God. It's very fascinating if you're interested. Read 2 Kings 17. 
And what Jesus is saying is, listen, that whole heritage that you have, this idea that you've used to justify, the Bible passage that you have used to justify the exclusion of people, I'm telling you, is not true. It's not accurate. We have evidence that these five husbands are a literary, literary work. Because in 2 Kings 17, there's, there's named five people groups that are brought by the Assyrians back into the land. And these five people groups are labeled as pagans. They're labeled as, you know, worshiping other gods. And then they started to worship the Jewish God as well. There just happens to be five in that story. And the sixth husband would be the stone altar that still sat, that still sat on Mount Gerizim where the temple was. So from Jesus' perspective and in this story, John's giving a significant theology and significant understanding about what Jesus, because you see for John, Jesus is the inclusive Jewish savior of the world for everybody. And this Jesus offers real life to everyone, not through religion that divides and says you have to believe this or believe that, but through the revelation of a God that loves all and is in all. And Jesus is that revelation. And so for John, from Jesus' perspective, he knew everything. He knew everything the northern kingdom had ever done, right? The northern kingdom where Samaria was. Jesus had heard the stories. He grew up in the culture. He knew everything. She said, he just told me everything I've ever done. But Jesus knew everything, all the false worship, all the idols, all the altars. He knew it all, how they had converted and how they were consorting with Judah's enemies, right, where Jerusalem was. He knew all of that, yet for John, these people, those people, are a portrait of people accepted by Jesus. That's the point. <laughs> so we've used this word focus, and I want to encourage us as a church as we enter into our 2023 ministry year this fall, that we don't lose sight, because there's all kinds of ways that we can get distracted who was here, who is here, who's going to be here. We can get distracted by the bills. We can get distracted by, we used to have this ministry, and now we have this. We used to do it this way, now we'll do it this way. All those things are distractions. I want to encourage us as a community to stay focused on offering Jesus' countercultural, radically inclusive path of peace that heals our wounds, transforms our minds, and redeems our pain. And I really, I say this all the time, I really don't care whether Jesus ever stood at a well and had this conversation with this woman. It doesn't matter to me if this is historically accurate because this is deeply true. And John is teaching us something, and John is teaching his community something, that this is the path of Jesus, to face persecution for who you include, to tear down walls of religion, those things that say you're an outsider. And so as we do this as the gathered church in 2023, I just want to share with you a few things real quick. And I've gone way over and they're going to laugh at me for saying I was going to be 25 minutes. So you got to hang on. In 2023, we're going to experiment with new and innovative weekend worship practices. It's time for our church to continue to evolve. We, are, we have a playbook that we've been handed that was a wonderful playbook when this church started 25 years ago, it was the question of what can we do to create an atmosphere that will engage with people that feel that they don't belong in church? The atmosphere has changed, but there are still people that are living in a world that say, I don't want to be a part of that anymore. The pain, the hurt, and yet you'll walk in, and if, 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 you, if we look like every other church, 
it's a traumatic trigger. We come and we stand and we sing the same songs. And so we have to be led by the Spirit and we have to be innovative. And here's the thing. It doesn't matter to God. So why should it matter to us? It doesn't matter how you worship. I want to be effective. I want to be effective in being a space for those who are deconstructing their faith, who have been disenfranchised by a faith community, for those who are dissatisfied with their own spiritual reality. I believe that God's called us to be that place where we can all continually grow in that wisdom path. So we're going to move forward in our transformative practices with music and art that engage and offer a safe environment for those that have been traumatized by unhealthy religion. I want that for us, and I want that for our community. I think that's what our community needs. I don't know that our community needs another church that looks just like every other church that has a tendency to traumatize by being very nice, but not honest. And it's a challenge when there's a shift. It's a challenge when there's a change. It's a challenge when there's something new to trust the change, to trust the transformation. But I believe it's that courage that marked crossroads, that marked John Smith's leadership, that marked the heartbeat, and it continues to mark the heartbeat of our church. In 2023, we're going to implement the Path of Peace curriculum for our kids and students. We're adapting and adopting some curriculum. We've been looking for about a year and a half at different curriculums that are out there. And we found this beautiful curriculum called a joyful path that every curriculum you have to adapt. So we're going to adapt it for our needs. But, but it focuses on such affirmations for kiddos like this. <laughs> Love can flow through me as it flowed through Jesus. That's good. The whole world is home and we are a divine family. I will remember that God is within me and all others. All of nature holds the beauty and presence of the divine. The light that was in Jesus shines in me and around me. I know that the spirit of the universe, what we call God, can do great and small things through me. I like this one a lot. My true self, my true self is deathless and changeless. I'm secure in unconditional love, light, and joy. Now, who wouldn't want their eight-year-old to get that? <laughs> My joy is complete when I experience God's living presence within me. See, we want our kids and students to have a foundation of a faith that can withstand historical criticism <laughs> into the deeper truths, the more mystical realities of the body of Christ. In 2023, we're going to continue to work on and launch the peacemaker's path. You've been around, you've seen 101, 201, 301, 401. That methodology is a good methodology. It's clear. People can understand, here's how I can grow. But we understand that we have evolved and we need to shift some of the materials. So our first kind of step for people that will be new coming in is something we're developing called a fresh perspective, learning a new way of seeing. So let's, set, let's develop a new way of seeing. Let's have an eight-week conversation about what it looks like to follow Jesus in the Crossroads Network. It'll be grounded in the wisdom pattern of order, disorder, reorder, grounded in contemplative practices, asking questions like, what does it mean to be Christian in this world, given what I've experienced? How do we heal? How do we move forward? 101, the peacemaker's path, will start with this immersive reality into the five unacceptables of our world. Like you can't, I don't think transformation takes place by information. It's only in relationship. And so 
We want the first experience on the peacemaker path, this 101, to be understanding the unacceptable, hearing the stories like we heard today, the challenges that people are facing. Where It's about where the path of Jesus takes us. And it has to take us to the side of the road, to the person beaten and outcast, because that's where we're transformed and changed. That's what we're seeing, these opportunities. And if we're not there, if we're not present, if we don't sit in the weight of the suffering of our world, we will never walk and never find Jesus because you want to know where Jesus is. It's where there's somebody who needs a cold drink of water. It's where there's somebody who needs food to eat. It's where there's somebody who needs a ramp that's built. It's where somebody who needs grief and they need a hug. I believe deeply that that's where you find Jesus. It's not in the triumphal songs that we sing. It's not when we gather in here, but it's when we allow ourselves to see the pain. That transforms us. 201, the peacemaker's faith, believing like Jesus. This should sound familiar. We went through some of this last year together. What did Jesus believe about God? We'll talk about that. We'll help people walk through that. 301 is the peacemaker's love, living in Christ, exploring cruciform love. What does it mean to lay down ourselves? What has to die inside of us so that resurrection can live? We explore the power of what this phrase, the resurrected life is. And then 401 on the peacemaker's path, is around the resurrection and the mystical body of Christ. What does it mean to participate in the mystical body of Christ right now in this world, right? There's a fragility to hope we talked about last year. And so we're taking all that, we're going to be converting it, and we're going to create something that I think is fresh, something that I think is important, that I think we can all be proud of. <laughs> That's not grounded, it's not foundational in dogmas that we aren't really sure about, but we say you have to be sure about. It's grounded in what I think is loving understanding and mystery and questions. And I'm excited about that. I think as a church, it's desperately needed in our world. And I want to encourage you to participate in this peacemaking vision by, by becoming a member of Crossroads Church. Whoa, hard right turn there. What the heck are you talking about, Ryan? We're going to talk about this, but here's what I believe deeply. Crossroads is a nonprofit. <laughs> Let's just be honest. Can we say that out loud? Like, I don't want to leverage God to manipulate you to giving in the offering. God loves you. Your spirituality is not grounded in those things, how much you give. So I want to be very clear. I see Crossroads as a nonprofit that organizes a portion of the mystical body of Christ. We come together with a shared vision, but that's the truth of it. And we support this work because we believe in it, because we believe generosity with our time, our talent, and our treasure grows us and grows peace in the world. And so I want to encourage you to just consider becoming a member. And you just got to know, me, I'm not a religious, like membership is going to be like pretty darn easy. <laughs> we link arms around values. We link arms with the expression of having, a, 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 this is what we want to be. This is what we want to support. Membership is a beautiful way to just move from that's the church I go to to that's my church, <laughs> right? That little shift. It's a way from moving from being a participant to a contributor, right? And so it can be a healthy thing, right? So it's about affirming and living the, the values that we talk about here, wisdom, generosity, inclusion, fun, and creativity. It's about creating those values in this world. Members regularly give a portion of time, talent, and treasure. It's what we do because... Not because God's going to love you, or if you give your 10%, then you'll reap 100%. Come on now. That's voodoo. <laughs> I mean, do I want you to give 10%? Yes. Do I try to model that? Yes. Do I think it grows us as human beings to be generous? Yes. But I don't want to 
be a voodoo like practitioner. <laughs> right? So that's the idea. We're creating a safe space for the spiritually deconstructing, disenfranchised, dissatisfied to experience the non-dogmatic, non-authoritarian, peacemaking way of Jesus. That's the story of the woman at the well. That's the point of it all. Members have responsibilities. We work together. We have community decisions that we make together around budget and things like that. And I'd love for you to participate in those things. And as we create this, as we stay focused, as we participate in a tangible way, we all of a sudden get to be a part of something bigger than me. And that's important. That's important that we, we are a part of something that I could never do on my own. See, there are things that you as the scattered church, when you go out to your work, you could do on your own that like the gathered church can never do. But there are things that as a gathered church, as an organization that we can do together that are powerful and healthy and good for a community. And that gives me this perspective beyond myself. It forces me to kind of set aside my desires and my wants. And it forces me to lay aside a little bit of my own selfishness. And when we participate, I think as a church, we're going to bring hope and healing to a hurting world. That's all I want to do, right? I'm not interested in, 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 in converting people. No, I, just want, I just think we're supposed to bring hope and healing. I think we're, that's what Jesus did. Jesus didn't tell the woman at the well, well, okay, come on down to Jerusalem now. We've saved you. I just need to kneel and pray this prayer after me. Right? Jesus didn't do it. And there's nothing wrong with that. Don't get me wrong. I think those, are, those can be powerful moments. But when they become the dogmatic reality of this is what it means, you got to worship in this place, then we've lost track of Jesus. And that's the, so that's what it is. So what's God inviting you into today? There's some next steps on the back of your Connect card. And uh, we're going to finish up today. I'm going to pray for us and do our blessing. And I just want you to take a breath, take a moment. You can finish out your Connect card right now. Maybe you want to join a group. You can put the code on the back of that Connect card. Maybe you want to explore the different groups available to support your peacemaking journey there. Learn how you can participate by becoming a member. We're going to be doing a membership drive from basically October through November, just trying to say, who is Crossroads? Like, who are we? So I'd, maybe you want information, check that box. Finish filling out that connect card. Let me pray for us, and then I'm going to do a blessing. You Go ahead and stand on up with me, would you please? If you want to stick around for a few minutes, the band's got a song that they'll play, but I just want to give you your blessing and send you out. It took a long time. I'm excited about our church. I'm excited that I believe God's raising up something unique that is in alignment with the foundation that was laid 25 years ago with a group of people that said, what's God calling us to do? And a group of people that had the courage to lead out and give generously. And to see what God does with that. Just close your eyes with me. Take a nice deep breath. If you want, you can lift your arms up to receive this blessing uh, as we head out into the rest of the day. Take a breath. We can get so focused on moving to what's next, we miss what's now. So we're going to do the song after the blessing. If you all could give me that blessing on the back, that'd be great. So may God bless you with focus this year. 
May we as a community of faith open our eyes to what is a distraction from the peacemaking work of Jesus. May our eyes be open to the needs in our community and our hearts be filled with courage to act in unity. And may our church continue its 25-year heritage of being a space for the spiritually dissatisfied, disenfranchised, and deconstructing. May love guide our curriculum and wisdom guide our decision-making. May we be generous as a community with our time, talent, and treasure this year as a community committed to God's vision of peace on earth. Open our eyes to our neighbors and friends, God, those who are seeking and looking for a healthy spiritual path. Give us the courage to speak about and share our spiritual experiences in positive and healthy ways. And may all of us find and walk the path of peace illuminated by Jesus, the path that leads us to the living water that heals our wounds, transforms our minds, and redeems our pains. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have an awesome week, everyone. If you're at tables, you can leave your envelopes and connect cards there. If you're in the sides or the back, you can use those orange kiosks to drop in your envelope or your connect card. It's great to see everybody this week.